the most important task we could ever think of, building God's kingdom. We're missing out on opportunities to do that because we've bought into this idea that to be a, you know, a good man or a good person or whatever in this, in this world today requires us to shoot for a certain level of success and to, you know, execute certain tactics to get to that level. Welcome to the Men's Alliance podcast. Men's Alliance is a growing movement of tribes across the nation that meet weekly for rugged outdoor workouts and a real-world devotion around a fire. If you want to be a part of what we're doing, join us at mensalliancetribe.com where you can find a tribe near you or come to one of our Start the Fire weekends. So check us out at mensalliancetribe.com. Now stay tuned for this great podcast. Welcome to the Men's Alliance podcast. I'm Dave Mills Goose. With us today, we've got a special guest. We have Dr. James Spencer. He is a theologian. He's a Christian leader, author of numerous books. Uh, he's the president of the D.L. Moody Center that he's going to talk to us a little bit about and going to talk about his, his book called Christian Resistance that I'm really excited about uh, getting him to ask some questions about and, and hearing about this because it's so aligned with Men's Alliance and what we're about. Check out the subtitle, Christian Resistance, Learning to Defy the World and Follow Christ. So welcome to the show, James. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on. This is great. So if you could just start us off, tell us a little bit about the mission of the D.L. Moody Center. Tell us about that. Yeah, so the D.L. Moody Center is, our mission is really just to invite people to consider the life and faith of D.L. Moody. Um, D.L. Moody was a 19th century evangelist, and um, he lived actually most of his life in a little western Massachusetts town called Northfield. And so the D.L. Moody Center owns a large portion of a historic property where D.L. Moody was born, where he lived, and where he um, did a lot of educational and sort of conference work in that area. So part of what we do is we preserve that site and try to present it um, we do a lot of, with construction and, and you know, um, overseeing old historic buildings is never trivial. Oh, yeah. Uh, but we also, we have been developing a D.L. Moody digital archive project where we've been collecting his letters and papers and um, correspondence with him or about him and putting that out uh, digitally. And so we do a fair amount with that. But really, I think what our heartbeat is, is to um, D.L. Moody at the beginning of one of his books in the preface to uh, a book called To the Work. He talks about arousing Christians to a deeper sense of their responsibility and a desire to see Christians uh, going out and doing the work of the kingdom. He actually says that until the rank and file Christians uh, begin to serve the Lord and, and really take a, uh, get a deeper sense of that responsibility, that the kingdom of God will not grow as it should. And so for us, that's really the heartbeat of what we're trying to do in introducing people to D.L. Moody and, and some of his life and thought, uh, what we're really hoping for is that Christians will gain a, a deeper sense of that responsibility, go out, live a Christian life, make disciples, and share the gospel. Man, that's great. So you're really, your, your mission is discipling Christians, right? And, and, yeah. and getting us, getting us uh, off the sideline and in the game, I might say. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, and I really view it as, you know, we, you know, discipleship has, I think, many facets. And so the, the, the sort of space that I think we really play and can play well 
is helping people who maybe aren't ready to get into a discipleship relationship, sort of one-on-one with someone in person, uh, but they're really interested in growing spiritually. And what we want to do is grow them to the point where they're seeing the need to actually be involved in their local church, find a discipleship partner in their local church, and really begin to contribute to that local arena. Um, I love that's that. the that's the space we really want to occupy. I love that because you know the the word disciple that can be a pretty uh, intimidating word to a to a new Christian. Yeah, um, some some of them, right? And uh, so you're <laughs> you're if if you if you um, are a little bit overwhelmed or intimidated by that discipleship term, it sounds to me like what you're saying is you're going to get people to that point, grow them spiritually right. until they're ready to become disciples. I love that. Yeah, um, I'm. The, I'm kind of. A, yeah, I'm kind of an old personal trainer, and so you know, you don't you don't bring somebody into the gym and throw 315 pounds on the bar, right, and have them bench press. <laughs> you know, yeah. you, you kind of bring them in and you you show them the paces. You get them up to that point where they can lift that much, just and they're safe doing it. And I think there's a very similar cadence that we can create uh, within discipleship and spiritual growth. And that's so good. I love the parallel between you know spiritual fitness and physical fitness, and and you know, we, we grow and we stretch ourselves and we become stronger in small increments in That's both right. the physical and the spiritual. So good. Yeah. So yep. let's talk a little bit about your book, Christian sure. Resistance. Um, first off, what is it for, for people hearing this, um, haven't seen the book, aren't familiar with your work? Uh, what is it we need as Christians to be resisting? What's going on in the culture right now that we should be resisting? So uh, whenever I describe Christian resistance to people, this is usually the analogy I use. Um, If you think about a dam that's holding back water, that water is exerting tremendous pressure on the dam. And to some degree, the dam's job is just to hold its shape. It's to make sure that it doesn't bend against that pressure of the water. And so when I think of Christian resistance, it's not sort of an offensive resistance. It's not a rebellion. It's, it's the sort of resistance that a dam puts against the water and just saying that no matter how much pressure you put on me, I won't change my shape. I think mm. that's Christian resistance. That's the picture I'm trying to paint in the book. I love that. that. You know, one of the best things that Christians can do in the world is just to be Christian and to be Christian in a way that it looks strange. You know, we've been given this fantastic gift in Jesus Christ, and we've been shown a way to live that leads to resurrection glorification, right? I mean, no other person in the history of the world, their, their life has not led to, um, you know, resurrection, ascension, and glorification, only Jesus. And so we have this revealed way of living, and it should look odd. It should look different than the way the world lives. And so that's the sort of resistance that I want to cultivate in Christians. Let's just be Christians. Let's be the church and let the world figure out the difference. You know, uh, and so as we're looking at what we need to resist, I think there are a whole host of things we need to resist. We need to just be very careful about what it is that we're depending on, what sort of logics we pick up along the way. And we need to make sure that as we're thinking about uh, who we are in Christ, that we're actually depending on Jesus as opposed to picking up these sort of, uh, I don't know, default operating systems, right, from the world. And saying, well, the world's pretty stable, the world's pretty consistent, we can just do this, and we can do it relatively morally, and that's what it means to be Christian. I think Jesus calls us to something much more radical than that. 
Yeah, I love that. You, you know, when I when when I think of a dam and, and this water pushing it, I think the first word that came to my mind here, and you say that was immovable. Yeah, I just think an immovable object that it's not going anywhere. And so, what I'm hearing you say is that resistance isn't like go out there and do resistance. It's it's just continue being steadfast and immovable in in your beliefs and you know i'm i'm also coming to my mind right now is you know christ told us that the world is not supposed to love us and we're not supposed to love it and and we're supposed to have hard times and we're supposed to be persecuted and all these things right and and i feel like that's a that's an element of this it's like oil and water we're not supposed to right well, I think if you, you know, the other thing I usually say when I think about that analogy of the dam is that the water and the dam are actually touching. And so what I'm not suggesting is that Christians sort of divorce themselves from the world, that we, yeah. you know, get away from the world. It's a very real pressure that's being exerted on us by the world, but we're in contact with it. We, we don't, we don't avoid it. We just don't bend to it. And so we are still supposed to be salt and light in the world. We're still supposed right. to be engaged in the world. And we need to do that in ways that demonstrate who Christ is. And so a lot of the book actually is, um, while I don't really treat this passage in the book, um, sort of the inspiration for the book was Matthew 6. Um, Jesus is walking around with his disciples and he says, um, hey, see how they're giving over there? See how they're giving to the poor? Don't do it like that. Do it like this. And then he'll, you know, he sees people praying and he says, see how they're praying over there? Don't pray like that. Pray like this. And then, you know, finally he does it uh, with fasting. And he says, you see how they're fasting over there? Don't fast like that. Fast like this. And so as we look out at our culture, there's going to be a lot of good things that are happening, right? Um, quote unquote, good things. We're going to see people giving to the poor. We're going to see people praying. We're going to see people fasting. We're going to see people serving or whatever it is that we do. And what we need is we need those, those eyes of Jesus to say, yeah, I'm seeing the way they're doing that, but that's not the way we should do it. We should do it like this. And I think what Jesus is doing there is he's trying to help his disciples understand that being a disciple of Jesus Christ, you may perform the exact same activity, but the way you perform it actually really matters. Wow. Yeah, that's good. And, uh, you know, I think it was in, in that story, it was all about people doing stuff for show. Right. And, and getting yeah. getting all that praise and, and attention, doing things like prayer and tithing in a way that draws attention to themselves. That's and, right. And instead of doing it quietly and humbly. And that's awesome. You, you know, you make me think, too, of like the people who are really like um, trying to separate themselves from the world in every area and, you know, basically create like some some very uh, tight knit, very small Christian communities where they're really never up against the world. They're never interacting with it, you know? And yeah, I think that's a great point for that's not what we're supposed to do here. That's not what resistance looks like. How are you going to reach them? How are you the salt and the light? If you, if you don't know any of them, if you don't come into contact with them. Right. And I, I think there's a, there's, there's a sense in which, um, people talk a lot about balance, right. And prioritization and all those kind of things. I, I tend not to, I try not to think in those terms. What I like to think of is, you know, we're sort of enveloped in this uh, space where our only task is to point to and glorify Jesus Christ. That's what we're doing in every other 
uh, activity that we're involved in, we are to point to and glorify Jesus Christ. Whatever else we're doing, it's almost like everything else is coincidental. <laughs> you know, so if we're speaking out against, you know, on politics, let's say, well, we're not doing that because it's morally right or good or whatever. That, that activity is shaped by our primary task of pointing to and glorifying Jesus Christ. And if we can't do it and also point to and glorify Jesus Christ, it's our job to take a step back and say, maybe I shouldn't be doing it. Mm-hmm. And so there's a, there's a control or constraint, I think, that's put on Christians as we're looking at how to engage with the world. That doesn't speak to isolation, right? Which usually that's what we tend to think of. It's like, you know, do we isolate ourselves from the world so that we can be disciples and and make sure that we're living a holy and chaste life? Or do we engage with the world and run the risk of sort of being less holy and, and, um, you know, maybe compromising our faith? And it's like, well, that's not quite it. (laughs) What we, what we really want to do is we, we probably want to think about this in terms of, you know, activity and constraint. And at some point, what we're really trying to do, we're really trying to go out and point to and glorify Jesus Christ. That is going to constrain some of the things that we might want to do because they will distract others. We're going to end up, you know, reorienting them away from Jesus just by doing something that we really feel convicted about uh, and, and interested in doing. And so we've got to be careful on that front. It's not about isolation, I think. A lot of times it's just about our own restraint, deeply understanding why it is that we're here and what it is that we're doing, and then not engaging in activities that are going to disrupt that core mission. And that was so, so good. I love what you said about deeply understanding why it is we're here. And I know, just speaking for myself, that's something that we can we can get so busy in our day-to-day lives that we can yeah. quickly forget. And we're, we're thinking about, you know, what's the best uh, route to drive home with the traffic and what's for <laughs> dinner and which kid we have to get where next. And, and then before we know it, we're not acting in a way that reflects Christ and we've lost track of what it is that we're doing here. Yeah, uh, that's a yeah, big I mean, reminder. The story of Mary and Martha is a really fantastic one to sort of illustrate that point, because Martha doesn't seem like she's doing anything particularly wrong. Right. You know, I mean, she's not, you know, she's not uh, cutting people up in the kitchen or something like that. I mean, she's just preparing a meal and doing the normal things that would be associated with hospitality. And, you know, ultimately what Jesus tells her is you've been distracted. You know, you've been distracted by all of these different things that you're serving. Mary hasn't been distracted. She's here sitting at my feet. She's chosen the good portion. You've missed it. And so it won't be taken away from Mary, but I think it was still on our on on offer to Martha. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And so there's something in there for us, I think, that says we just get too distracted by the normal things that we feel like we need to be doing. And we need to ask ourselves whether those things are as necessary as they've, you know, maybe we think they are. A lot yeah. of times I don't think they actually are as necessary. Um I know one of the things that I've dealt with a a lot um, over the last few years is just, you know, time on screen, right? Now, obviously, I don't get away from technology completely. You know, we're on (laughs) we're on Riverside here recording. We're doing it now. That's right. I mean, you know, I have emails to answer just like everybody else. You know, I've got text messages coming in and all those kind of things. But the reality is that you know you can really take a step back and say, I'm not going to be distracted by these things. 
and I'm not going to conform to the conventions that most of us conform to. I don't really feel the urge to anymore to text someone back right when I get a text. I'm, I'm happy to wait, you know, till the end of the day when I kind of have it slotted in as a, a time slot in my schedule to answer people's texts. Um, you know, I do the same with emails. And so that isn't a barrage that distracts me from everything else that I'm supposed to be doing. And I think um, to the extent that we can sort of step away from those conventions and recognize that, hey, um, life is about focusing on Jesus. Life is about sitting at Jesus's feet. Let's not make the mistake of Martha. Let's, let's make the right choice of Mary. I think we can actually get there. It just requires some effort on our part. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Um, it's we're we're talking about busyness. I feel, and this is something that you know I see it all the time in men's alliance, where men are not doing anything bad. They're doing right. they're they're doing lots of great things. Um, problem is they're doing too much, and yeah. they're so busy and they've lost track of why are we here and what's what's our mission? What's yeah. our mission on this earth? Why are you here? Um, and and we let all these other things pile up on our plate. And actually, we can fill up our plate with tons of good things that ultimately distract us uh, from from our real mission here. That's right. Can you give us any um, any kind of like uh, examples, some specific examples, some practical examples of stuff going on in the world today that we that we need to be resisting as Christians? Hmm. Definitely. I mean, there's uh, there's I think personally um, one of the biggest problems we're all facing right now is um, technology. And, and I say that not as sort of a, a Luddite who doesn't want to, you know, have the internet around anymore or anything right. like that. But the reality is that um, the attention economy, as it's often called, is a real threat to the church. Hmm. Attention, um, if, we, if we look at something like the concept of the fear of the Lord in the Old Testament, the fear of the Lord is about reverence, but it also implies attention. Um, because when we fear the Lord, what we're really doing is we're saying the Lord is the most relevant actor and factor in any given situation. And to um, remove my attention from the Lord is really to fear something else. It's to give that reverence to another being or thought or ideology or to suggest that God is less relevant than what I am now going to pay attention to. And so as we look out at technologies, we look out at things like, um, you know, just the information that comes into our, our brains and our, you know, our devices, um, you know, every day. Uh, that, I think, is one of those areas where Christians really need to take a step back and say, listen, some of the slower things that we used to do, reading a newspaper, um, you know, reading a book, you know, uh, non-digital technologies that have allowed us to amass information and to understand things in a slower manner are actually more important than we're giving them credit for. And we just need to think through how our relationship with technology might change our relationship with God and others and then uh, adapt in, a, in an appropriate manner. I would say the same thing about um, things like artificial intelligence. One of the things that I would, one of the ways I've thought through sort of the boundaries of artificial intelligence are that um, if you think about the parable of the good, of the good Samaritan and you replace the good Samaritan with an AI uh, empowered robot, mm -hmm. 
and you just think through that narrative, right? This AI-empowered robot is now picking someone up who's been mugged on the side of the street. It's taking this person somewhere, getting them help, doing all of those things. And you get to the end of that parable and, and you ask the same question, who is the neighbor in this story? You have none. There is mm. no neighbor. And, and so the point of it is just to say there is a way for us to use technology in such a way that we abandon the idea that our sole purpose in life is to love God and to love neighbor. We cannot farm out being a neighbor to others. So those are areas that I think really require some thought for Christians to resist. Now you've got the, the normal areas as well, like pornography and, you know, um, you know, various other, you know, sort of pernicious problems that we're dealing with that obviously need the same sort of resistance. But I would say that they're subcategories of this broader problem that we're giving our attention to things that are, are really making thing, making pornography make more sense. And that's a problem. So yeah. that would be one example. I, I, I think the only other example I would, I would just throw out there, you know, we're running into the 2024 election cycle and, you know, far from uh, advocating that Christians not vote or something like that. All I would say is, you know, by the time we get to a political election like the, the United States presidential election, you have two choices, functionally, right? Mm -hmm. A Democrat and a Republican. That is not the best way, I don't think, for Christians to be salt and light in the world by choosing one of two candidates. That's not to say that we shouldn't vote. That's not to say that we shouldn't attend to that. But I think that much of what we're getting right now in the United States is a political narrative that says, if you want the world to get better, you need to attend to the politics. Yeah. And as Christians, we need to resist that message. Even as we, you know, go out, go ahead and rock the vote, right? Fine with me. Um, but I just think we need to resist that message because it, it puts way too much weight on the political realm and in a subtle way diminishes the role of the church in society and what we're supposed to be doing, which is shining light and, and showing people that, look, the way forward has nothing to do with these two political candidates and has everything to do with Jesus Christ. And that's good. Um, so much of what you're talking about that's really resonating with me is where we choose to put our attention. That's right. And there's this, you know, you, you know, you brought up pornography and we've, we've certainly talked a lot about that on this podcast and, and around our fires. And that's like one of those obvious ones, right? And yeah. it's like one where you, you can see it. It's a, it's an enemy and you know, you've got to avoid it, but where we give our attention talking about politics or um, whatever the issue is, we can think we're doing well because we're avoiding the big obvious problem, but then we're still losing a different battle by funneling all of our attention and our energy and, you know, our emotional energy and our, and our dollars sometimes into things that really might not matter. And, you know, I've seen the political part of this um, guys can get so worked up about national politics and they're they're angry and they're they're stressed and and they're all frustrated about it and you know when you say in this that's who's coming to my mind is like people that get just worked up and you're like yeah. hey man that's that's in the white house you know let's talk yeah. about let's talk about 
your house. Uh, yeah. And, and, and where our attention needs to be as, as godly husbands and fathers. This is such a good message. So guy hearing this and he, he's, this is resonating with him. He wants to, he wants to be a Christian who resists. What does that look like? Um, what, what can he do? What can he do tomorrow? What can he do next week? Some small practical steps a guy can take to start defying the world. So, uh, the book is actually written to deal with certain practices that I see we need to change. So there's actually a chapter, for instance, on attention, right? And how we would go about sort of shifting our attention away from things that are distracting us from uh, Christ. But I think as a practical step, here's what I would say. Um, just like we were talking about earlier with the, uh, with the weight room, the analogy between physical training and spiritual training. I don't think that Christian resistance is achieved all at once. It may happen that way for some people, right? Uh, I'll, I'll leave that in the hands of God. God can do some amazing things with people. But even when I've read things like from Dwight Moody, um, you know, he talks about struggling for multiple months uh, before deciding to give up business to go into full-time ministry. Mm. And the way he frames it is he's like, I was just struggling with the will of God. I was struggling uh, to give my life over to God's will. Right. I still wanted to keep this little piece for me. <laughs> right. And oh, God yeah. just kept pushing me and pushing me and pushing me. And so what I would say is uh, Christian resistance is going to happen in small increments. And so one of the best ways that I've found to sort of begin uh, building that resistance is by uh, setting smart goals, um, goals for myself, challenges for myself during the day. And those challenges usually look like, I, like for instance, I'm not, I, I've always been more of an academic. So my, my whole career, um, you know, I did a couple of masters and a PhD. And so, you know, I'm like, I geek out on that stuff. I love sitting down and reading books and writing and all that kind of good stuff. That's great for me. But when you actually look at my prayer life, it's not strong. Like I don't pray well. I don't, I, I never really had that sort of discipline to just sit down and pray. And so as I started writing the Christian resistance book, one of the things I kind of got convicted about was, you know, I need to learn to pray. Well, you know, sitting down and doing an hour session a day of prayer would be insane, right? For me, uh, I just, there's no way I'd make it through it. And so what I started doing was I started with just leaning into my own proclivities. Anyway, I got a book of prayers and I would read one. Yeah. Right. And I would sit there and I would think about it. And pretty soon I found myself praying through it. And I would, I could do that in maybe 10 minutes. And then, you know, as I did that consistently for 10 minutes a day, right, then I could start maybe writing my own prayers. Right. And I found that to be a really helpful exercise for me. Right. So leaning into those things were reading and writing and, and taking in as small chunks where all of a sudden I'm sitting there going, this is great. Like I'm actually talking with God, conversing with God, but it's, I'm, I'm doing so on, on through a, a medium that I understand. And then I'd sort of go from there and I'd say, okay, now let's just try this without pad and pen. Let's try it without another book. Let me just straight out pray and see how this goes. But it took some time and I didn't worry too much about, um, you know, first day sitting down, like I said, for an hour and being able to pray. I really tried to take it slow and something that I could handle um, and something that I could give my full attention to within that moment and then build my attention from there. And so yeah. my advice would be, you know, pick something small, 
Like don't, don't feel like it has to be, you know, this gigantic leap, like, oh, I should leave my small group tomorrow or oh, I need to teach in Sunday school or whatever it would be. Like just pick something small, something that you can implement easily within your daily life and build on it. Oh it's, man, that's so good. A lot of people don't do anything because they can't do everything. And, right. and I love this message of, uh, of set a small goal. It's, it's, it's really um, powerful to hear you share a, a weakness, right? Everybody, everybody listen to you, reading you. We're like, oh man, this, you know, PhD theologian, president of Deal Moody Center. You know, this guy is a spiritual giant. He probably prays for hours a day. And uh, <laughs> that's just, I think that's helpful to hear, you know, hey, this guy's got, you know, leanings, proclivities towards one thing and away from another. And uh, that gives us all some hope. Hey, we're going to take a quick uh, break here from our sponsor. We'll be right back, Dr. James Spencer. Hey guys, is money holding you back from being used by God? If finances are a problem in your life and you're looking for some help, some counsel, some assistance financially, you've got to check out the Main Street Group. It's run by Tom Love, call sign Doc with Tuckahoe Tribe. Okay, Doc is a certified financial planner. He's a fee-only fiduciary. He's a Dave Ramsey SmartVestor Pro. He uses Charles Schwab Assets. He will help get you on course in ways that you didn't even know you were off course. He's not just a sponsor of the podcast, but my wife Carrie and I, we use him for our finances personally. He's helped us a ton. He's been ranked number two in the Richmond Times Dispatch, number one in Style Weekly. He's a top 40, under 40 investor. He's been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Forbes. He is the man to see to get you on course financially. God saved Tom spiritually and physically and god is the reason for tom's success and he wants to help others succeed also so whenever you go see tom love aka doc don't forget to mention that you are a part of men's alliance and he will donate your first year of fees back to men's alliance nonprofit 501c3 so he's not only helping you but he's helping our ministry as well so do yourself a favor go see the main street group with Tom Love. It's in the show notes. Check it out. And as always, Dave Ramsey and Charles Schwab are separate entities and past performance is no guarantee of future results. Check him out. The Main Street Group, Tom Love. Welcome back. We're here with Dr. James Spencer, author of Christian Defiance. And we're talking today about what that looks like, how a Christian uh, can, can resist things that are going on in this world, especially things with like technology, attention, where we choose to spend our, our time and resources. So uh, fantastic conversation with you. I wanted to ask you this. You've got this great um, thing you talk about in your book about developing new patterns in life uh, that can allow us to recognize God's presence. Um, what what's, a, what's an example of that? What's a pattern we can develop in our life to be more in tune with, with what God's doing around us. Yeah. So I'll give you uh, one of mine. Um, again, I think uh, I've always been a little bit more, I, again, spending a lot of time in the weight room, that's an indoor activity. Right. <laughs> and so I am an indoor guy, right. I'll spend, I could spend a day in the gym and never go outside and be plum happy. Um, but you know, there's only so much of the world you're actually going to see in the gym. Yeah. Um, you know, you, unless you're peering out the window, um, it's really something that you're, you know, you're under the fluorescent lights um, and, and you're just sort of um, pushing and grunting most of the time. 
And so what I decided to do was I started to uh, get outside. I started to make it an, an, an effort to say, I'm going to go out. I'm going to take a walk. I'm going to do something outdoors. And I'm just going to start paying attention to the world that God has provided. And I, it's a little thing, right? It's just a very small thing. But if you walk with the intention of recognizing the beautiful world that God has provided, and you start to reframe your mindset from, uh, oh, it's hot today, or man, isn't it cold out, or do this rain is horrible, you know, whatever it is. I mean, I live near St. Louis, uh, Missouri. It's humid. Um, the humidity is pretty killer. Uh, but I think when I went out with the intention of what is the beauty in the world that God has provided, I no longer think of it in terms of, man, it's humid. I notice. <laughs> but my first thought starts to become this world that God has provided really is beautiful. And so to some degree, it's about aligning an intention with your pattern, right? With an activity, with a practice, as opposed to just going at the practice for the practice's sake. And so when I think about developing those patterns, those are the kind of things that I do. I go at it with a, a sort of almost, it's not, a, I wouldn't call it like a theological conviction, but it's, it's a thought about God. And, and then as I perform these activities that are really pretty mundane activities, I mean, there's nothing uh, spiritually um, taxing necessarily about taking a walk, <laughs> right? But as you just do that and you're looking up, like this morning I was out uh, with my wife on a walk and um, it was still dark and, you know, you can still see the stars and the moon. It's pretty fantastic to think about God making the stars and the moon. Yeah. And, and when we can focus there... That's a shift in our pattern. It's not so much, you know, uh, hey, let's let's go back to the aesthetic lifestyle where we're depriving ourselves of, you know, X, Y, or Z, mm -hmm. right? You can do that. Those are those are important practices. But I think sometimes what we're really lacking, we're we're missing out on all of the little things that we could be grateful for, simply because we're taking them for granted. And so, you know, not going outside oh, yeah. and taking a walk, you know, not looking up at the stars and saying, look at the grandeur that God has provided us. Look at the glory that is found in his creation. Like, this is amazing. Um, instead, we just kind of go outside, complain about the weather and, and try to get where we're going. Well, that Man. pattern reinforces something about efficiency, about progress, about our own sort of ambitions, about our, you know, it, I think it cultivated, for me, it cultivated impatience. Yeah, And now when I'm out and I'm looking at things a little differently, you know, people, um, God's creation becomes something that's beautiful. People become less obstacles to me getting where I'm going. And now they become, you know, neighbors I should love. I mean, those are the sort of patterns I think we need to be cultivating. And you are speaking our language uh, about getting outdoors. Um, <laughs> you know, every men's alliance is outdoors. So if you're listening to this podcast, if you're near St. Louis, Missouri, we need somebody to start a, a men's alliance tribe um there so that you so that you can join a men's alliance we need somebody to start a tribe in your neighborhood to get you into <laughs> men's alliance because we we do uh, every every men's alliance starts with a 30 minute outdoor workout in the in the rain or the snow or the heat and and i i've you know i've always been a big fan of uh the the quote by john muir um i'd rather be um in the mountains thinking about god than in church thinking about the mountains. Right? <laughs> yeah. and I've, I've kind of always just been that, um, you know, um, felt more connected to God 
when I'm walking through a forest or standing at the ocean or just standing um, by a campfire. Right. Yeah. That's when I feel I feel most connected to God when I'm when I'm, you know, in his creation and, and thinking in those terms of, you know, man, every everything he that I see here, he, he's made. And, you know, he's he's matched the colors of things on this planet to to the, the cones in my eye so that I can, you know, appreciate the beauty of this sunset. He, he made the two to fit together. Um, that's that's so awesome to hear. And, and I love your your practice there that you're you're getting into i think more men need to, to get outdoors i think you know one of the yeah. things i noticed in my life about about nine ten years ago was that it seemed all of my problems existed inside huh. like stress and anxiety and um depression and i would say pornography uh i think a lot of those things are results of they're they're indoors they have to do with technology yeah. they have to do with comfort right we're sitting in a in a couch in a lazy boy we're under artificial lighting in a climate controlled room staring at a screen <laughs> and uh and and we're we're down and we can't figure out why we're why we're not operating um at our at our peak maybe it's because that's not what we were designed we're not in an environment that we were designed for and you go outside you close your laptop, you walk outside, you go for a walk around your neighborhood, your problems start to get smaller yeah. as you start to breathe some fresh air and walk and, and, and talk and enjoy the beauty. And it's not like I'm not saying it's some sort of magical cure-all. Um, you know, problems are going to be waiting for you when you go back in, but you're going to be refreshed and recharged. And there is a huge uh, benefit. You know, there's, there's scientific studies proven to show, you know, that outdoor therapy or echotherapy um, is, is is extremely productive it's better to, to walk and talk outdoors than to sit and talk inside that's really yeah. cool to hear you echoing that so we're going to build a tribe in your in your neighborhood <laughs> yeah i mean i i got into it um just listening to some of andrew huberman stuff on oh, yeah. sunlight and uh i haven't quite doing started doing the cold plunges yet but um <laughs> but the outdoor sunlight that kind of stuff it's like yeah. well that makes intuitive sense and so um yeah that's how i got into it but i i I tend to agree with you. I think, you know, our indoor problems are really related to this idea that we've gotten so efficient. You know, uh, Aldous Huxley, he wrote a book called Brave New World, yep. and then a set of essays, Brave New World Revisited. And one of the things he was trying to accomplish in Brave New World was to help people understand that um, we can be just as trapped by efficiencies as we can by sort of a totalitarian regime, sort of comparing it to 1984 and George Orwell. Yep. And I think that a lot of what we experience is sort of our indoor problems are those efficiency problems. You know, everything has become sort of, it can run without us. And honestly, um, I think we get a, mm. a higher rate of problems coming at us because it's more efficient for people to communicate those problems to us. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah. And a lot of times I think what we, what we're missing, and I would say this particularly as we move into sort of like, you know, the AI and I've been doing some more research on transhumanism right? The implementation of technology uh, into our actual bodies to make us, quote unquote, more than human. But I think part of what we're missing here is that part of being human is putting forth effort. It's, it's dealing with problems. And this efficiency is hurting us in part because we are no longer dealing with the sort of problems that we are designed to deal with. We, you know, as we slough off these other burdens, we're just getting bored. 
And mm -hmm. I, and I mean, I, I think we're getting bored. I think we're getting lazy. I think we're getting softer in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, I don't mean that in sort of a weird machismo sort of a way. But the reality is that, you know, without effort, I would never take somebody in, you know, when I was doing personal training, I would never take somebody in and go, hey, today, you're just going to watch me work out. <laughs> That's going to have no benefit to them. Yeah. You know, like at some point, you got to put somebody under a bar, put some pressure on there. And that's how muscle grows. And I think to a large extent, we're losing that ability to pressure ourselves, to put ourselves under that sort of weight. And that I think is going to be a real loss if we're not careful. And there's so many, so many great places we could go with that. You're, you said something about people thinking that everything's so efficient and kind of um, automated that the world could run without them. Yeah. And I think that that is such a dangerous lie for any man to start to believe, right? Especially when yeah. I think about, you know, when, if you start to apply that to your family, right? Mm -hmm. And if you, if you're, if you're listening to this and you're starting to think that maybe my family would run better without me or my, my, my wife and kids don't really need me, uh, at the wheel, everything's automated, everything's efficient, you know, just recognize the fact that that's actually a lie. Uh, that's from the enemy that wants us to believe that um, we're very much needed, right? And, and usually men don't realize how important that they are and, and how people are looking at us, even when we think nobody's looking at us. That's right. And, and, and there are problems that no amount of AI can fix. And no technology can fix, and it takes a it takes a, a presence of a of a husband, of a father, of a mentor, of a Sunday school teacher, of a small group leader. There's there's no replacement for yeah. a man stepping up and leading and getting out of his comfort zone and and speaking into somebody's life. Um, there's 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 never going to be a, a replacement for that. So let me ask you this: um, as we start to kind of land this plane. What do you think right now is something, maybe another one of these lies or, or messages or um, false, false beliefs? What's keeping men from being more resistant, from being more of a bold Christian, from defying the world more? What, what are some of the things that we can be on the lookout for that we can try to recognize that might be keeping men from having a bigger impact? I think one of the big things that I would say is that we are measuring ourselves based on the success of others. So this notion of progress that we have, particularly in the United States, where, you know, every generation is supposed to be quote unquote better than the, than the previous generation that, um, and that we tend to define that better in terms of, let's say wealth or, um, you know, professional success or what have you, you know, that there is, um, almost every person I talk to, they want to move up in their job. And I, I think I went through that as well. You know, I was young in my career and I wasn't, I wasn't satisfied being an assistant Dean. I wanted to be a vice president and then I wanted to be a president and I wanted, you know, but I think as you go through the paces, at least what I realized was that it's sort of the, you know, it's the same job with different money. And, um, you know, the titles don't mean anything, right? When you get down to it, what I found I cared about was my integrity. And so I guess what I'm saying is I, I think that that notion of progress 
and this idea that to be successful, we need to achieve X, Y, and Z. And that X, Y, and Z is largely determined by our culture. It's, you know, people are going to look at us and say, yeah, that person's a success. I think we need to slough all that off. Um, because what it comes with is baggage. And that baggage is, is in the form of, in order to achieve X, Y, and Z, we have to do A, B, and C. And so now we not only get a goal, but we get marching orders, right? We get tactics to achieve those goals. And what I, why I think that's a problem is um, I believe that discipleship will open up opportunities beyond anything we could ever ask or think. And so as we're shooting, as we're settling for um, the success that the world defines, and we're implementing tactics in order to achieve the success that we've settled for, we're missing out on discipleship. We are absolutely missing out on what God would have for us to help him build his kingdom. The most important task we could ever think of, building God's kingdom. We're missing out on opportunities to do that because we've bought into this idea that to be a, you know, a good man or a good person or whatever in this, in this world today requires us to shoot for a certain level of success and to you know, execute certain tactics to get to that level. And those have very little to do with discipleship most of the time. Yeah. And so I think that is one of those like deep embedded narratives that the world has sold us on that we need to start sloughing off big time. Man, that's uh, it's so just powerful. one of those. Yeah. It's just one of those that I think is a killer, um, not only for men, but for everybody, because it does keep us from discipleship. Maybe one of maybe one of the best ways we could defy the world is to come up with our own definition of success. Uh, yeah. That's that's uh, great commission oriented, yeah. right? And it's not the world's definition. Guys, if you're listening to this and you've never sat down and and thought through what's your definition of success, what does success mean to you? That's a word that has a lot of different definitions to a lot of different people. And I'll tell you right now that if you've never defined it for yourself, the world is going to hand you a definition of it. And you're going to reach your finish line in life one day and realize you ran somebody else's race. Yeah. You didn't run the race God had for you. You didn't run the Christian race. You ran maybe the world's race and maybe you achieved it. Maybe you crossed that finish line and it wasn't even the right one. So, so important. I talked to a guy just yesterday who switched jobs, took a $10,000 a year pay cut hmm. and is, and is happier now than ever uh, yeah. because he's, he, his quality of life is more in tune with his definition of success, his mission and why he's here and what's more important to him. And he realized, you know, it's not about the, the status, the pay, the title. Um, there are other things vastly more important. So, you know, just one example that pops to mind from yesterday, but we've got guys that are, um, you know, in parts of Men's Alliance, leading in Men's Alliance in other states that are realizing this all the time. Maybe they're realizing, hey, you know what? I would rather play this leadership role in the in the local tribe of Men's Alliance at my church. And and I, I um, derive a sense of meaning and purpose and success from that, even though that requires me to say no to this other thing. 
this other thing that maybe the world wants me to do. So I think these, these examples are just all around us. And, and I think that your, your theme of uh, defining success uh, in, in biblical terms around making disciples is so important. Um, I know you've just, you've encouraged me today, just hearing you say this stuff to me. I, I need to be reminded of this as well. Yeah. I mean, I think we all do. And um, it's been uh since moving out of higher education, which was sort of my first chosen profession to moving over to leadership at the DL Moody Center, I've sort of had this interesting spiritual awakening of my own over the last five years mm. and really gotten to um, use a lot of the skills that I thought I would use in higher ed and never did uh, in order to do things like write books and and speak and, and uh, just get back to my roots is kind of what I feel like I'm doing. And so... Um, yeah, writing Christian resistance was as much for me as it was for everybody else. And, uh, I'm, I think that, uh, what God's word really revealed as I was going through it was that there are a lot of different patterns in my life. There are a lot of things and people that I'm paying attention to. There are a lot of, uh, people that I'm imitating that I probably need to change. And so, uh, I think it's been a convicting process to write the book and, and, uh, think about the concepts and start taking ownership of them. Man, that's so good. Last question for you. What are you currently reading? What's uh, Dr. James Spencer reading right now? <laughs> well, I've got a whole stack of books over here. Um, but I think one that I'm reading right now that I'm really enjoying uh, is called Paul and the Gift. It's a, uh, it's a New Testament uh, book on uh, the Apostle Paul and um, how, he, how he frames Christ as gift. And so I'm reading that one. Mm. Um, I always have a few in the works. I'm actually reading one on a biography of uh, Thomas Jefferson by uh, a guy named Thomas Kidd. Um, and he writes from a Christian perspective on the founding fathers. And so I'm enjoying that one as well. And uh, yeah, all kind of in service of working on, I've got a new book coming out next year. So I'm doing the research for that and starting to write a little bit on it. And so, yeah, and those that's, are a couple that's that I've cool. got going. Paul and the <laughs> Gift. I haven't heard of that. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to check it out right now and we'll put it in our show notes. That sounds really, really good. good. Yeah. It's a great book. And so, uh, of course, we're going to, we're going to link your book um, that we've been talking about Christian resistance, learning to defy the world and follow Christ. We'll have that just check in our show notes right here and, um, and go pick up a copy. James, thank you so much for being on our show. Thank you for your time and uh, appreciate the impact that you're having on on the world and on the christians in it thank you thanks for having me it's great to be here thanks for listening to the men's alliance podcast we hope to see you in one of our tribes or at one of our unforgettable weekend experiences so join us at mensalliancetribe.com